And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hey, this is a rock and roll museum. You guys don't belong in here. <laughs> They ranted, they fainted, their eyes were glassy, some pulled their hair out, some tore their dresses, they threw notes of a very uh, undesirable nature on the stage. I'll tell you all about it. Welcome to Long Play, a podcast where nerds rock out with their Spock out. Hello and welcome to Long Play. This is a show where a couple of guys get together and talk about their favorite album. Does it hold up as an album? Is it just a collection of songs? With me tonight to talk about one of his favorite albums from the brand new Fire and Water Podcast Network, Rob Kelly. Rob, thanks for coming tonight. Thank you very much for having me on. I This is not only one of my favorite albums, this is my favorite album, period. Well, this is going to be fun. I am so looking forward to this. Uh, and what? Well, go ahead and tell them. We didn't even say what we're talking about tonight. That's great. Uh, so. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we are going to be talking about the, the 1975 Bob Dylan album, Blood on the Tracks. And uh, I can understand why it is one of your favorite albums. Even though, and this is the, well, we'll get into this, and this is the 15th album that Bob Dylan released <laughs> in 1975. But before we actually get into the album, I want to backtrack a little bit. And uh, this is what happened and how this kind of came to be. I was on Facebook, and um, this was back in the summer, I guess. And uh, I had posted a video on my wall of uh, a Bob Dylan tribute concert. And everybody was, I mean, anybody you can think of, the, the whole Wilbury clan was there with uh, George Harrison, Tom Petty. I mean, they were all there. This, the stage was full of uh, the most impressive people from that era and ever that you have ever seen on one stage at one time. And I was playing the song, and I posted the song on my Facebook page, and I said, boy, that must have been a great show. <laughs> yeah. And Rob Kelly posted, what did you post right after that? Uh, I think I just said something like, I was. I was at, at were, that show. It was a good show. Yes. You were there. Incredible. So I thought, well... We need to talk about that. So, um, how did that even happen? How did you even get to that show? Was that just you knew about it? It was coming up. It was just promoted. You followed yeah. Dylan. And said, hey, he's going to be doing. Yeah, it. Um, yeah. I had uh, I discovered Dylan. You know, I don't know, late in his life, I guess. I don't know how you relate that uh, exactly, and sort of late in mine. But anyway, that that was only a couple of years after I'd really gotten into him, and so they announced that concert, and I was like, I got to go to that, and. Through a friend of my dad's who was like, I forget how he, he was sort of connected and he got us tickets. And, uh, you know, me and a friend went. We were way up 
up in nose. We were like, we weren't even in U.S. airspace anymore. We were so high up. It. <laughs> but but we were there, you know. Um, it, it There was some definite not great moments mm-hmm. <laughs> in that show, mostly due to the crowd. Right. But there were some other amazing things. And, and it was, you know, that's my only chance I'll ever have to be in the same room as a Beatle, uh, I'm sure. And, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, there are people there that are now no longer with us. Lou Reed, you know, uh, was there. And... Uh, Tom Petty and Eric Clapton, Neil Young, Stevie Wonder, John Mellencamp. Uh, I mean, the the, the it was uh, staggering. Just, yeah, an amazing collection. It's yeah. Just staggering, just staggering. Um, well, how did you come to Bob Dylan? How, you are, as you mentioned, uh, you're not in the same age group with he, and uh, so when did you you find him? Uh, in art school. Uh, when I was a, at the Kubert School, when I was a student there, uh, we lived the first year. We all lived in these sort of communal, ramshackle houses that counted as dorms. And uh, my roommate and I shared. Uh, we had a room that was separated by a pocket door with two other guys. And on the weekends, we would open that door up and all sit and work on our projects. And we would put music on. And I was never really that big of a music guy, just in general. I just music was just not a big part of my life. And my one friend, uh, Dan O'Connor, who I am now partners with with the webcomic Ace Kilroy we do together, he put on uh, the Traveling Woolberries. And I remembered I didn't I didn't know about this thing. And I was like, wow, this is wow, this is pretty good. <laughs> and, I, and I noticed that, I mean, I was certainly aware of the legendary status. I right. knew that this is a Beatle and a Bob right. Dylan. I knew these people were. And uh, but I remember thinking, you know, I really like this album. And so I went and I bought it for myself on cassette. Um, and I remembered as I uh, would play it over and over, I went, you know, I really like the Dylan songs the most, the, mm-hmm. the solo Dylan songs. So um, I think it was uh, that summer uh, where, you know, between first year and second year, I said, well, let me buy a Dylan album and just see what that's like. And I bought Oh Mercy. That was the first <laughs> one I bought. Interesting. And that I really loved that. And right around that time, that was back when this is how old this is. MTV was still a playing music and b playing Bob Dylan. They actually played <laughs> Bob Dylan videos. Yeah, that's like, amazing. You know, the channel would just explode if they did it now. And they played a video for Political World, uh, which is a great a great song and a great video. And I really dug into it. And at that point, I was off to the races. Mm. And within a year, I owned every record. And uh, you know, that just began. The whole thing and it just became one of the biggest parts of my life it's not something that i ever really talk about on a podcast because you know all my com all my podcasts tend to be about comic books or in this case you know movies mm-hmm. so it just doesn't come up much but it is dylan's music is as important to me as anything else that comes into my life as part of you know sort of entertainment or right how i engage with art it is that important to me and uh so yeah, uh, I, I've seen him. Uh, I've seen him. Uh, what is it? Twenty-one times in concert now, and I've Amazing. Owned, I own, you know, hundreds of songs that are bootlegs or other <laughs> things or whatever. So yeah, I mean, I just fully immerse myself in that world, and there's so much to immerse yourself in it. So. Yeah, there's just so so much. Um, yeah. I think for my generation, I came to Dylan. Uh, well, earlier than you, obviously. I'm uh, a year or two older than you, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I. Um, didn't really consider Dylan in the sixties. I was, uh, first as a little kid, I was really into Elvis and that kind of music, the, the rockabilly, the early rock and roll, the, even the doo-wop Dion and all that kind of stuff. But obviously when the Beatles hit, everything changed. And then the British invasion. 
So, I, and I just never really concerned myself with folk music of that time period. It was there. I knew it was there. I would hear it periodically, but it wasn't something that I sought out like I did uh, the British music of that time period. But sometime in late 67, early 68, when the Beatles were interviewed um, for Sgt. Pepper, they had just released Sgt. Pepper, and they were talking, and one of the guys asked them, you know, where'd all this strange music come from and why they've changed so much since the mop top days and all these kinds of things. And they were making little jokes. And finally, one of them said, well, who are you listening to? Who are some of your influences? And two of the four Beatles uh, said Bob Dylan, George, <laughs> George and John. Of course. Of course. George said, well, I'm listening to blah, 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 but right now I'm listening to a lot of Bob Dylan and John. And that was a terrible George, and I really apologize. <laughs> I really apologize for that. But, but uh, then uh, John mentioned a couple of other people he was uh, listening to, but he said, in my mind, the best songwriter in the world right now is, jo- is Bob Dylan. And my thought at the time was, what, that folk singer? Are you kidding? What? Well, because John said Bob Dylan was his favorite well, I had to find out what that meant. I'm one of those kind of guys where if somebody I like mentions somebody else, I'm going to have to go look at him and see what that's all about. So I went to, um, I think it was G.C. Murphy's at Willow Lawn in uh, Richmond, Virginia, and uh, bought, if I remember correctly, the first one I got at that time was Highway 61 Revisited. Oh, perfect way to start. And that was my first Bob Dylan album. And when I listened to it, I went, oh, okay, all right. Okay, I I understand a little bit. I mean, it took several listenings to catch what he was saying. But the music, and I've said this before, I'm the music guy. If, uh, If the sound grabs me, then I'll figure out what you're trying to say with your words. And that's probably why there are several genres of music right now uh, that I have a hard time with. They may be fine for dancing, but I can't get past just that same repetition to even know what you're saying. With Bob Dylan, that didn't happen. His songs, with even the vocals that so many people hate, I loved immediately. I thought, oh my God, if you're listening to it, it's perfect for the words and the music he is writing. So anyway, Highway 61 was my first Bob Dylan, and then I went back and started buying pretty much everything I could find by him, because uh, John told me to, and, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so that's how I became, and one other thing I will admit that I don't want to admit publicly, I have seen, I can't even tell you how many artists that I have seen live, rock and roll bands, individual performers, concerts, just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds in my life two i've never seen that i kind of kicked myself for rolling stones and bob dylan i haven't seen either one of those two well bob you have at least another 50 years of dylan concerts to make up for that that's what i think i mean dylan is still not 80 yet so he's still got another 30 or 40 years on the planet the way i look at it he'll he will still be doing i will be i will be dead and he will still be doing concerts he will still be out there so i still have a shot at uh uh seeing both of them all i need to do is win the lottery to see the stones so Mm -hmm. uh, i mean their (laughs) tickets were just outrageous so but uh, that's my little history with Dylan. Was um, uh, it took John Lennon and the Beatles, and uh, now I'm a fan forever. I it didn't take long. Didn't take long. 
Um, so, Blood on the Tracks, like I mentioned a little earlier, it was his 15th. I mean, it, it's <laughs> staggering <laughs> to realize that this was the 15th studio album that he put out. And originally, when it was first released in the 70s, uh, the critics were not crazy about it. There were um, some very nasty things said about this album. And they, uh, some critics actually said, uh, we've probably seen the last of Bob Dylan. (laughs) And uh, I think, wow, what were you listening to? Because uh, this is an amazing album. It is now, uh, by I think most people's who are listen to Dylan, you can appreciate the old stuff. You can love songs. I still love his early acoustic stuff. Um, but uh, most people will admit now this is probably his best collection, his best album as an album, not a greatest hits, but as a fully produced studio album. Uh, I don't think there's a bad song on this puppy. No, and it is. Keith, it is Keith Richards favorite Dylan album. Really? Yes. Actually, I can I can get that. I can I can understand that. Uh, uh, there's a great documentary I think now on Netflix about Keith Richards, and uh, uh, you should all watch that. I won't spoil any of that because I want to talk Bob Dylan. But it's really good, and he mentions a few things like that. But him cool. being a good songwriter, uh, I can totally understand that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is one of the things that I'm real thrilled about talking about Bob Dylan on this show is. Uh, on long play now we've talked about some pretty good songwriters uh, yeah a couple yeah yeah we've had a couple of pretty good songwriters uh john and paul of course we've had billy joel we've had bruce springsteen i mean the list uh of good songwriters uh is is long but i think right at the top of the list you got to put bob dylan his stuff and it's interesting and I don't want to get on too many branches here, but I think it's so interesting that Bob Dylan's songs, whether it's all along the Watchtower or, well, I mean, you can just go down the list. He's been covered by so many people. And I don't know that I've ever heard one of his covers that are actually better than his. You know, there are great covers. I think mean, Jimi Hendrix, I mean, you can go down the list. Everybody has covered Bob Dylan's songs. Do you know of a cover of a Dylan song that you like better than Dylan's version of it? Not a lot, but there are a couple. Uh, and I'll I'll just mention one because we've got we got to get the blood on the tracks. But the yeah. the aforementioned tribute concert, uh, he had um, well not him, but the concert had uh, a trio come out: Mary Chapin Carpenter, Sean Colvin, and Roseanne Cash, hmm. and they covered "You Ain't Got." going nowhere and i love that ver- i love that song of his i think it's great it's one of his non it's not the, the it's not the lyrics are so great it's the performance uh but they did a beautiful like almost crosby stills and nash-esque three-part mm. harmony cover and it was so joyous and so upbeat and not only did it sort of come at the right time at the concert because there was this whole ugliness from Sinead o'connor and there was a little that and they mm. so they came out and just did this one song and it's so beautiful that I like it. I don't want to say I like it more than the Bob version because the Bob one is one of my all-time favorites of this, but it is a wonderful cover. It is a great cover. And I, I remember at the time saying, boy, if those three together are that good, they should just be a band. They were so good. And I don't think they ever have, but 
it, it's it's a terrific cover of the basket. That so swift to bring one there, the gate won't close and the railings roll. Get your mind up for winter time, cause you ain't a cold no way. find the video uh, the concert uh, like just that clip on youtube so it's worth checking out it's, okay. it's really a wonderfully joyful upbeat just twangy version of the song it's, oh, it's terrific okay well good 15th studio album and uh let's get right into it what do you know about the first song tangled up in blue uh well i mean it's uh, the version that we're going to hear uh was re-recorded at the last minute uh, in Minneapolis, Bob had finished the whole album in New York uh, with a producer, uh, a woman producer, of which one of the songs is supposedly about. And then uh, the album was scheduled, ready to be released. It was supposedly going to be out for Christmas because who doesn't want to hear this for Christmas? <laughs> and uh, then he he took the album, the tapes with him back to home to Minneapolis or not Minneapolis, Minnesota, and then they were yeah. Hibbing or whatever it was. And he apparently played them for his brother uh and his brother i guess who i guess you know not shy the brother said you know some of these could be a little better which you know <laughs> whoa whoa um Brass. okay yeah and so bob apparently agreed and he got some local musicians to recut several of the songs which postponed the album until it didn't come out until january um and he recut a bunch of the songs and this is one of the songs that was done in uh in minnesota and I can't, uh, you know, as much of as Bob likes to play with fire, and he was certainly playing with fire by by doing this to the album. You can't fault the song choices because this song is one of one of the great Dylan songs and one of the great songs, period, of all time. Tangled up in blue. Early one morning, the sun was shining. I was laying in bed. Wondering if she'd changed it all If her hair was still red Her folks, they set our lives together 
Sure was gonna be rough They never did like mama's homemade dress Papa's bank book wasn't big enough And I was standing on the side of the road Rain falling on my shoes Heading out for the east coast Lord knows I paid some dues Getting through Tangled up in blue She was married when we first met Soon to be divorced I helped her out of a jam, I guess But I used a little too much force We drove that car as far as we could Abandoned it out west Split up on the docks at night But the green it was best And she turned around to look at me As I was walking away I heard her say over my shoulder We'll meet again someday on the avenue Anything else to say about Tangled Up in Blue? Um, it is, I mean, I, you know, I've done lots of readings of read dozens and dozens of books by Bob, and one of the things he describes, apparently, that the the change in his songwriting came from, uh, partly was these art classes that he was taking with an instructor named Norman Rabin, who taught him a more impressionistic view of, of sort of songwriting, and he talks about Tangled Up in Blue as a song that it changes perspective multiple times throughout the song. You don't really know where you are it's a story song but yet it seems to change the pronouns change it's the song seems to be by the person singing and then he, then it seems to refer to other people and and whatever so as i think as, as bob put it, it it's like a painting where you look at part of it and then you have to just go to scale back and see the whole thing and uh yeah it's a song that you hear different things from uh you get different things from as you listen to it as you get older um it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper and I think it's 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 probably really the only song that I know of just from experience that every person that hears it likes it. Uh, even people who don't like Dylan like this song. I think it's partly his singing. Uh, even I would put this even over like a Rolling Stone in terms of its universality. I think there's something about his singing is very warm. Uh, it's so impassioned, and uh, yeah, it's just it, it's. It, He's done other versions and he's changed the lyrics and they've all been very interesting and the original version cut in New York is very interesting but this this is just a near perfect song performance uh, and uh, the band is perfectly encapsulated with him and it just it it's it the rush of images is so profound and it really is so easy to get caught up in it it is just it's just startling and uh, you know it, it it's it, you kind of be hard to say but how do you follow up with this and he does. Does, and he does. But man, what an open. Yeah, what he does, but what an opening. I mean, what, what an, an opening amazing, song. Yeah. And the and and like you mentioned, five of the ten songs were recut, reproduced. It's very interesting, and I love the just the title itself, "Tangled Up in Blue." Um, and he finishes each stanza with that. It's regardless of what the little story is about. We're tangled yeah. up in blue. You can, and it's it said these songs really are. If you want to, you can dig deep into research, and you talk about that. He, he talks about the the painting from the 13th century, and you know people have, you know, I mean, obsessing over Dylan, Dylan lyrics and quote unquote figuring them out is a whole cottage industry. But <laughs> people have people have said that that's Dante. He's talking about uh, Dante Alighieri's Inferno, and talking about what we're talking about Beatrice, and uh, you know, like the historical aspect of that. And then it said it sets the tone for that is 
is Dylan talking about one woman or talking about multiple women? And there's a theory here that 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 he, the idea that the, the women in your life are all the manifestations of one woman throughout your life. It's there's a lot going on, and you can either take it at face value or then dig deeper into the meanings of things. And it, it doesn't it, you, either version works. If you want to just take it as a story song, and then it's fine. But if you also want to dig further down into the the, the meta commentary, then it works works there too it really is startling and uh yeah it's just i never get tired i would put it on my top 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 five songs of of his of all of, of my favorites of all time i just never get tired of hearing it. yeah me too and it's uh questionable whether that song or this album as a whole is uh autobiographical and how much is and he on different interviews has gone both sides He's, right he typical bob dylan typical wit typical john lennon type of stuff uh, he'll just fool you or lie to you flat out. He'll just say yes or no, depending on, I guess, how he feels that day. So yeah. it's up to, I guess, researchers to figure out, is he talking about his ex-wife or is he talking about the little girl he picked up yesterday? Who knows? You know? <laughs> so, uh, But you start out with a great song, and I always think the great albums that we've covered here on Long Play, the one thing I think, that, not the one thing, but one of the characteristics that make them all really good, solid albums so far is that that first song grabs you. You put it on, you drop the needle, and then you go, oh, I think I'll listen to this. You you don't instantly have that desire, oh, let me skip and see what else is on here. Mm-hmm. You stay with the first song. And if they get you with the first song, the second song is so important. Um, I don't know if you're into baseball, but people... I am. Okay, well, uh, great, because people uh, sometimes underestimate the power of the guy hitting in the second slot. Mm-hmm. You, you got your leadoff guy. It's his job to get on base. Second guy is to get on base or move him over for your third and fourth and fifth big sluggers to bring him in. The second guy has got to keep that momentum going. If right, the first right, one, right. If the first guy gets on, the second guy has got to keep the momentum going. Yep. Or the whole thing falls apart. Same thing with a good album. The first song can grab you. And I have a lot of albums, vinyl and otherwise, and they're on the shelf. Where uh, And you can go from UFO to even U2 and New Wave people and oldies but goodies. The first song might be their greatest top ten hit ever. And the other eight or nine are just not there. They just, they're mm-hmm. just not there. This album gives you the first great song, Tangled Up in Blue, and you think, wow, that's good. I'm into this. What are you going to do next? And he follows it with Simple Twist of Fate. They sat together in the park As the evening sky grew dark She looked at him and he felt a spark Tingle to his bones Twas then he felt alone And wished that he'd gone straight And watched out for a simple twist of fate 
They walked along by the old canal A little confused, I remember well And stopped into a strange hotel With a neon burning bright He felt the heat of the night Hit him like a freight train Moving with a simple twist of fate Saxophone someplace far off played As she was walking on by the arcade As the light bursts through a beat up shade where he Well, again, I mean, this is about as different as it she can be from Tangled Up in Blue. Cup. I mean, the Tangled Up in Blue is exuberant and pushes you forward. And this song is sad and quiet. And, uh, uh, I mean, it just feels it feels like a rainy day, this song. And... Uh, but yet, you know, again, you're caught up by the story. Um, many people have surmised that in this case, he's talking about his first serious girlfriend, Suze Rotolo, who was pictured on the cover of The Free Will and Bob Dylan, because at the end, he talked about uh, that she went went off, uh, you know, went on a, left, leaves at the end, which is what she did. She went off to Italy at one point, and that apparently really damaged their relationship. So, and again, that plays into the whole idea of is Dylan singing about one woman or is he singing about all the women in his life? Because Tangled Up in Blue seems to be about a more contemporary relationship. And now, but then if you believe that this song is about Sue's Rotolo, well, now he's flashing way back into mm. the early 60s. This song, it is, it is exquisitely painful to listen to. It's so sad. It feels so desolate. And yet it doesn't, I don't know. It's not a, it's not a dirge. It's not tiresome to listen to. Um, and you know, they, like anything with with any song, you can pick lyrics out, and 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 you know they really resonate with you. And the song, you know, and the, you can love a song, but then there's maybe one or two lines that really jump out of you. And mm-hmm. you know, not to, I'm not going to drag the show down into to too much of nitty gritty, but I was listening to this album a lot uh, many years ago when I was in the middle of a very painful relationship and. I, I was forlorn and I just was not going the way I wanted it to. And there's a line, a lyric in, in this song about, uh, I still believe she was my twin, but I lost the ring. She was born in spring, but I was born too late. And mm. the, the relationship that I had was with someone who was older than I was. And I the, the, the I felt that, that that age difference was 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 telling. And it was very painful. And I that lyric jumped out at me because it felt like that at the time, that had I been a little older, maybe this relationship wouldn't be the way it, it is. And mm. and so there was Bob, you know, put, in 1975, <laughs> uh, shoving a lyric into my head 20 years later that seemed to be about me. And that was an incredibly resonant uh, a bit of uh, a bit of songwriting. And so, yeah, it's it, it. There's no way you can top Tangled Up in Blue, but you can't go more exuberant. So you, he just changes gears and boy, it, it just works perfectly. And it's a beautiful, beautiful song. It sounds beautiful. And again, I'm a music guy and, you know, it's got to have good music for me to even get close to knowing what you're saying. And after Tangled Up in Blue, and he does this simple, you know, I want to call it a love song, but it's a sad, it, but it brings you right in. It just draws you right in. But even that now, don't don't if people don't think that oh because he put this sad song second that it goes against what I was saying about keeping the momentum going uh, with my baseball metaphor 
as part of this album, it does exactly that. It, it, it's, it's, um, after tangled up in blue, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it brings you in. I think that's a better word. He brings you even closer into him by, by, um, quieting things a little bit and then telling this very personal personal song if there's an autobiographical song on this thing which i think most of the album is this one is right to the core and uh, i agree with you i think it's just absolutely beautiful beautiful song yeah, I mean, Tangled Up in Blue feels kind of like, again, just by the, the sort of air in the studio, the air of the song. If, I don't know if that's making any sense. It feels like you're kind of standing in a crowd listening to him play this live, while Simple, Simple Twist of Fate feels like it's just you and him in a room and he's leaning in your ear whispering this. That's yes. how it feels to me. He's all of a sudden, everybody's out of the room and he's, okay, now here. And it's another song where it shifts perspectives because most of it seems to be about two external people. But then there's the occasional I dropped mm-hmm. in. So all of a sudden, well, wait a minute, he is talking about. So it is. It's just very. It, it's it, it's the perfect second song as a change up to what you just heard. It's and it, you mentioned the music. It's exquisite. The, the mus- musicality of this of this album is just absolutely gorgeous. It's good. It's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. Even if you don't understand a single word he says. It's a beautiful album to listen to. And then if you want to actually take the time and get into these lyrics, um, it's going to touch you. There will be more than one song that will just reach right in your gut and be personal as if he is talking to you. And it happens all the way through this album. And it doesn't stop as we as we come to the next song. Uh, another little change of pace. Okay, it's a little quiet. And then he brings us back a little bit with uh, You're a Big Girl Now. singing through these tears 
Um, it's my least favorite of the of the album, but that's such a relative, uh, you know, relative thing. It's sort of like, well, that's the worst sex I've ever had. It's still pretty good. Uh, you know, I mean, come on. Uh, or you know, so yeah, it's it's to me, it's it, it gets me the least, but still, it's because it's more direct. He's talking directly to this woman. It, it feels like a private conversation, but it is very beautiful to listen to. Uh, yeah. Again, it's it's it's. It, it, it's the first song of the of the album that's again not a story song it's more of him talking to somebody and the whole album is him changing his moods as as he sees fit as we'll see very shortly um, <laughs> very but, shortly but it's yeah but it's it's the first the first song is sort of this this one is the most kind I would say in terms of it, it it's I mean, it's a little nasty. Here, in the "You're a Big Girl Now" is is sarcasm, sarcasm certainly, but it's but it's it's I don't know. It feels like he's trying to understand it as well as he's trying to understand himself as well as he's trying to understanding what's happened. So it's it again. It, it's a nice change of pace. The whole every every song is a change of pace from the one before, but it's it's uh, like I said, it's it's an after two very complex story songs. This is a lot simpler, and it's a, a lot again, simpler. It's a, so uh, and it's kind of a little palate cleanser, a little. You know, a little cracker between <laughs> sips of wine. He's clearing the decks for yes. uh, the, the two by four you're about to get. Because <laughs> he's pissed. Someone's got it in for me. They're planting stories in the press. Whoever it is, I wish they cut it out quick. But when they will, I can only guess. They say I shot a man. I love this song. <laughs> I was listening to this last night and thought, "Wow, he's really pissed, isn't he?" Just the attitude, the the the. It's it's amazing. I love this song. Yeah, this is another one that he recut because the original version is much slower and less, just less vitriolic. I cannot imagine what it must have been like to be in the studio when he recorded this because this is eight minutes of just absolute rage and rage at the woman rage at himself i mean he calls her an idiot he calls himself an idiot we're idiots babe uh we can hardly even feed ourselves um and yet it again it, it's a story song and not a story song it mentions you know the grand coolie dam which is a woody guthrie song i mean it, it sort of envelops it gets the whole history of the 60s which had to be on everybody's mind because he is one of the great figures of the of the 1960s pop culture scene culture yes. scene period period um and and yet it's so angry and the music again you would not think that eight minutes of somebody just yelling at you would work because there's a reason why punk songs are two minutes because you burn yourself out exactly but this is this is this just whines more and more and more and he just gets angrier and angrier and yet he yet it's controlled it's not he's not screaming the singing is wonderful but boy he is just raging in this and it's 
it's frightening in a lot of ways. And again, if, if he had only directed the anger at the woman, you would almost say, boy, this is real misogynist. Right. But, but he's angry at himself. He's, he's, we, we ruined this relationship together. We're idiots. And it is just, whoa. And I cannot, I'm trying, again, I'm trying to picture what it must have been like to be in a studio. And, and after it was over, what do you do? What do you do? What do you, yeah, exactly. After you hear that, you just, well, I guess, we should, I guess we're done. Uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah. I just get the feeling there was sound like this silence in the studio yeah. after he finishes. It just, just, what does he do? Did he throw his guitar down? Did he already record those? Was he just doing the vocal? And I think you're right. If he had, if this had just been him with this amount of rage and anger at a one single person for eight minutes, uh, I don't think it would have been tolerable. Yeah, it would just would have been right. It would have been really uncomfortable. But he's but it, lashing it, out in yep. all directions and internally. He's angry, and uh, I don't. This was uh, before we started him out. I told you that uh, uh, one of my opinions of a song had changed, and it's this one. Uh, for some reason, in the past, I didn't feel the anger like I did this week when I was listening to this. Now maybe it's because I was really pissed this week. And when this song came on, I was saying, <laughs> preach it, brother. <laughs> so, so I don't know. It was, it just hit me all of a sudden. I realized just from, you know, just, it was just on in the background. So I had heard this album now, even since this summer, I bet I've listened to this album eight, nine, ten times just in the last couple of months. Mm-hmm. And, but for some reason, I put it on last night or, or not last night, but a couple of days ago. And uh, in the background, when this song hit, for some reason, the vocal, not what he was saying, but the way he was singing it, it hit me all of a sudden. It, I went, oh, my God, he's pissed. I mean, he's really <laughs> angry. And uh, wow, this is it just it, it raised the song up to an entirely new level for me. And uh, I think now it's going to be my go to. If I want to put my fist through a wall, I'll just put inherit the wind. I mean, uh, 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 idiot wind. I'll just put idiot wind on. It feels idiot. like it, it feels like you're in a room with a guy and he's getting madder and madder about something, and you're trying to get away from him and you can't. He just keeps getting more and more like you know, and you're just like, dude, okay. But again, it, it works really well. It said it's it's. I find myself when I listen to this album, I sing along to it, even if I'm not in a really bad mood, and it almost puts me in a bad. It makes me call up anger I have at something. It's just that. He, he's that able to sort of draw you into his emotional state at the time. And, and again, it's a perfectly placed after the nice mellowness of mm-hmm. your bigger now, which is still sarcastic. And then this thing. And then, of course, he follows it up with the most the biggest change of pace on the whole album. Right. And might as well go into that. What is the next song? That is uh, uh, You're Going to Make Me Lonesome When You Go. been this close before never been so easy or so slow i've been shooting in the dark too long when something's not right it's wrong you're gonna make me lose when you go dragon clouds so high above i've only known careless love it always has hit me from below 
this time round it's more correct Right on target, so direct You're gonna make me loads when you go Purple clover, queen and lace Crimson hair across your face You can make me cry if you don't know Well, talk about another change of pace. <laughs> Bob being charming. Um, yeah, this is a lovely song. And, uh, I mean, again, it's heartbreak because he's saying, you know, this is going to end. Supposedly, supposedly, this is about Ellen Bernstein, the Columbia Records executive that he was carrying on an affair with when he recorded the album. Supposedly, that's what it's about. Um, but it's lovely. It's beautiful. And, again, this gets into the idea of multiple women or is this the same woman? Because he talks about her crimson hair here. And in the the woman in Tangled Up in Blue has red hair. Mm. Uh, so, he, you're getting like, well, wait a minute. Is this a different woman? I mean, again, he paints such a picture. The cricket's talking, talking back and forth in rhyme. It's be- it's such a beautiful little song. And it gets out of town right when it should. It's it's like a two-minute, it's like 2.45. After right. after the, the tirade of, of, of idiot wind, here you get this little ditty, and it's just him strumming along. And it's just low. It's sad. But so beautiful too. It's just it's you love this person and you kind of know it probably isn't going to last and you're enjoying it for the for the moment. Uh, and and the, the the rhyme scheme. I mean, for God's sake, rhyming with Ashtabula is just him. It's him showing off. You know, he's just like I can I can rhyme with a friggin' town in Ohio that like you know nobody outside of that town has heard of. It's beautiful. It's just, it's one, again, it's one of my favorite. I, I, I said Tangled Up a Blues on my top five. This is like on, on like my top 20 because I just never, another one I never tire of. It's you just so, never get tired of it. It's so charming. Yeah, yeah it's, it's wonderful. And uh, uh, speaking of the red hair, uh, doing just a little research on, on Mr. Zimmerman, uh, it looks like one of his early girlfriends, and maybe the one he's talking about, uh, early on with the red hair she had red hair um, and it apparently is a recurring theme although the producer that he was uh, allegedly fooling around with during this particular recording session did not have red hair right so I'm thinking maybe he just threw the red hair thing in because one he likes red hair but maybe that's his little out for saying hey sweetie I wasn't talking about you really, no, really. <laughs> that's right <laughs> not you well, that's I mentioned earlier about this the the line from single from simple twist to fate that resonated with my life. The woman in question that I was talking about had red hair, so oh, I mean, wonderful. so this song really was like wonderful. you know I spent a lot of time driving up and down uh, New Jersey because I was living up in North Jersey and the woman was down here, and I spent a lot of time on weekends listening to this song on late Sunday nights and driving up in the middle of the night as I come home, and you know again it was like yeah Bob yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it, man. Yeah, you get you get me, dude. <laughs> so, uh, so basically, the footnote to this album could say, uh, "Blood on the Tracks" by Bob Dylan for Rob Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I wouldn't put it past him. He's 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 been known to put secret messages in his uh, liner mm-hmm. notes before. So, you know, who knows? Isn't that the beauty, though, of music that uh, it is personal? You know, there's a there's a great scene in uh, uh, um, one of the Beatle movies. It's John Lennon's Imagine thing making of that album where some guy just shows up at John's mansion at his house when it was before he and Yoko moved to the Dakota. 
And just some guy shows up. And John says, well, what are you here for, dude? <laughs> what can I do for you? And the guy was saying, oh, man, you're talking to me. You wrote that song for me. And John said, no, I wrote it for me. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Right. But isn't that the beauty of music itself, that it can uh, be so personal? It's, it's the better writers are able to do that. And I think we've seen that throughout. And Bob Dylan is at the king of the hill. He's the top of the hill writing songs that are personal to him of his life, meanings to him. But he can make that universal. He can make us all feel like a Rolling Stone. It's just, it's the brilliance of the man. Yeah. And, the, and such a great little song. Another great little love song. Yep. Which brings us to... Uh, Meet Me in the Morning. <laughs> Meet me in the morning Fifty six and Wabasha about here meet me in the morning uh you know this is again another real change up this doesn't sound like any other song it's much more bluesy it's uh, blues it's outright it's flat out a blues, blues song with the it's whole blues re- repeating the same line twice and then the thing uh oddly yeah. enough there's an alternate version of this song called call letter blues which sounds exactly the same with an entirely different set of lyrics which hmm. is just unbelievable the 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 the, the creative dexterity of this man that he can write a tune and write two completely different set of lyrics to the same song and they both work um i tend to give the edge to call letter blues over meet me in the morning but i think that's probably because i'm just more familiar with meet me in the morning i'm sure if he had flipped it i'd say the opposite oh, okay. um so i'm gonna have yeah, to listen to the other one now yeah it's on the bootleg series and it's wonderful yeah. uh, it's more direct in terms of his relationships i think me i think he swapped out for meet me in the morning to, to be a little more f- removed mm-hmm. uh from it so yeah i mean uh 56th and wabasha i mean he's got all this again personal history mixed in right uh with the, and and the the way it ends is so 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 pleadingly with the uh uh you know look at that sun seeking like a ship uh and it, just like my heart babe when you kiss my lips it's another sad goodbye but the the singing is very different. It's it's again it's it, it's flat out a blues. blues it is a tune. blues song. This song would fit on any of the great old blues 
uh, tunes of, of the past. It would fit anywhere. I'm a blues guy. I love blues. I play blues so much on my guitar. It's practically all I play anymore. When this comes up, I turn it up, I think. Thank you, Bob. Just throwing <laughs> in a little bluesy tune for me. I appreciate it. Because it is just flat-out blues. It's, uh, it's, uh, um, but it's Bob Dylan. Yep. And uh, I love that opening, Meet Me in the Morning, when he's just got kind of, it's a plea more than yep. more than a command or anything. It's it's literally, he's he's pleading with somebody, please, meet me in the morning. Yep. And I uh, oh, love this song. Thank you. Bye. And speaking of a change of pace, and I think I, I, I used that, the little blues song here, Meet Me in the Morning, like we did earlier, a nice little palate cleaner between songs, totally different than the song that came before it and the one that comes after it. Uh, that is uh, Lily, Rosemary, and the Jack of Hearts. favorite song on the album <laughs> it's, it's, it's an amazing it's yeah. absolutely amazing uh yeah. the fact that they were going to make this into a movie at one point is not yeah. surprising it's that complex uh yeah. you would think a song this long with this many things going on again would be tiresome but man i never this I, I think i've said it every time for every song here but mm-hmm. i never get tired of listening to this it's so peppy and you're so like trying to follow the okay, wait a minute, okay, diamond, j- diamond, <laughs> jack of hearts, and Lily and Rosemary, and then there's the guy, and the guys are trying to rob the, the brick through the wall, 
it's i mean i don't know how you write a i mean it by itself it's a great story it would make a great short story and then how you make it friggin rhyme into a song uh, is just beyond anything i can understand yeah it's absolutely staggering it reminds me a little bit though if you take it out of the music genre and put it into the uh, novel genre uh, and start it with the phrase, it was a dark and stormy night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, this could almost be one of those dime uh, detective novels, the crime noir, you know, this intricate story of gambling and, and, and uh, love affairs and betrayal and murder. And, oh, it's just, it's wonderful story. And it happens to be great music. So it just blows me away. This song is, um, well, it's just amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's just funny, too, that a lot of Bob's songs seem to take place in a very indeterminate time period. Mm. I can't quite tell when this song is, but I mean, it it seems Jack of Hearts seems to be kind of like a riverboat gambler kind of dude. And it it seems like it's like a small outpost, like a Western town. And, you know, I mean, um, it it makes me think of a quote. I saw an interview with uh, Tom Waits, not a fair songwriter himself. And he, <laughs> yeah. somebody asked Tom Waits, like, what do you look for in a song? Like a song that you like? Why? Why? What, you know, what's your thing? And he goes, you know, rah, 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 you know, <laughs> imagine you're the Tom Waits crowd. And he said, I love. Yeah, exactly. He says, I love songs that, that are that, that give me a sense of place. I know where I am. He's like, oh, the song mm. they mentioned is a coffee shop. All right. I didn't go there. And this song has so many places and settings and it follows everybody's personal trajectory in and out i mean lily wants to do this and uh, the diamond jim wants to do that and he's kind of a bad guy and then i mean it just you know and then it yeah it's just it's so there's just so much going on and the idea that the the one character wants to do one good thing she died i mean it's like it's just got so much going on and the fact that musically it and we all know that bob's you know Bob's whole MO is to record live. He doesn't really do overdubs or right. going back and punch it. So, I mean, you're in this band. You got to get this right. You just yeah. got to shoot this straight through. And um, again, I, I don't mean to keep referring to other versions as if <laughs> you know this thing shouldn't be appreciated by itself. There is an alternate version of this, which is much slower. And you would think, again, you would think it wouldn't work because the song's already long. But the slow version works quite well. And the only real difference other than it being slower is it features one extra verse. Uh, and it's it's a verse about the Jack of Hearts, which is from the Jack of Hearts' point of view. And that lyric, Ooh. yeah, that lyric is gone from this version. And I have to think that the reason he cut it is because in the, re- in, in the version that we know on the album, the Jack of Hearts is sort of unknowable. Everyone else, we get inside everybody's head except for the Jack of Hearts parts he's this figure who comes in sort of messes with people and departs and maybe he realized oh you know what in, in this other version we're actually we're a little too close to the jack hearts here he remains this enigma much like dylan himself yeah i mean if yeah. you want if you want to really extend the metaphor you know dylan's the gunslinger who's coming into town and in some ways messing with people's lives and putting things in their heads and then disappearing moving on to the next thing well jack of hearts kind of does that too uh, so, I mean, if Bob wants to look at himself like that, and I think maybe he does, that that works as well. I mean, it's he, he brings me Jack of Hearts upsets these people's lives, but you feel like they needed it. You feel like they were stuck in these terrible ruts and Jack of Hearts comes in and just messes around and causes chaos and then gets out of town before uh, before he himself gets in any sort of trouble. I would love to just put a camera somewhere and watch him work. And I would love 
uh, to sit down with Mr. Zimmerman. I'm sure he's listening, and if he'd like to come, <laughs> you know, through here, uh, I won't take up too much of your time, Bob. But we have, uh, I have a few questions I'd like to ask. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, my favorite song I think on this album, and I never get tired of listening to the Jack of Hearts. I I call it the Jack of Hearts. It's Lily and Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts. Really, Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts. Right. I always just call it the Jack of Hearts. So, uh, great, great song. Which takes us to... If you see her, say hello. the word that comes out with this one yeah I, I mean here again he's he's not talking to the woman anymore he's talking to well it's back to being a personal song after literally after the epic story song uh mm-hmm. now he's back now he's back talking and he's talking to a friend he's talking to, to to a colleague or somebody uh yeah it's 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 uh it's a portrait of loneliness and bitterness that's uh set off offset uh, by the really beautiful music uh and and, and his sort of sad uh, way he sings the the, the, the lyrics. Uh, it, it's a nice combo of all those things. Of all those things. I think Bob Dylan is so underestimated as a singer, um, because early on some people I think just wrote him off because of the timbre, the sound of his voice, just somehow didn't appeal to people. Um, but sad in that sad way that's not so sad that you want to shoot yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about singing. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, him, that's always the, the knee-jerk, oh, he can't sing, whatever. If somebody's singing makes you feel something, then it's good singing. Yes. That's it. That's it. Now, if you want to hear someone who only hits notes, that's fine. Enjoy that. But to me, that's perfect singing. And, and I've heard a lot of people that are, quote-unquote, perfect singers 
who don't make me feel a damn thing. I mean, right. I just hear it and I go, okay, it's just, it's just, it's pretty, but it's wallpaper. Yeah, and it's but, not uh, entertaining. It doesn't reach you personally. Right, but but if you hear, I mean, you hear the way somebody sings something and it makes you feel. Uh, I, I I saw an interview many years ago with Paul Simon and he credited Bob Dylan. And he said in his mind, Dylan is one of the great rock and roll singers because he said, Dylan. He said there's something about the timber of his voice he says that allows you the listener to 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 get more than one meaning out of any given line mm. and he said that's extraordinary and he said that's extraordinary singing and that's how i feel about it. And this album is all all over that is you're feeling if there's sadness there's anger there's this and it's all from the how he is singing that particular line so yeah it's it's Blood on the Tracks is nothing but feeling, and so that to me makes him a good singer. Is that you? I feel things when I hear him. Absolutely, and every one of these songs, and that's why I, I just wanted to get that a point across. That I because I've heard that same knee jerk thing that you have. Oh, Dylan can't stand his son, his voice. Well, then you're not listening, or what? It's, I don't know why it didn't hit you. Why it doesn't get? Because when I listen to him, um, it, it it touches in a way that that so many other singers don't. I, I I get twitchy when I hear people make declarative statements as if it is fact, and that's the part that bothers me. It's like, look, if it just doesn't work for you, that's fine. That's but, fine. But making the declarative, the, making the the the, the quote unquote factual statement he can't sing is what bothers me. And the the example I use is Pink Floyd. I right. have never liked Pink Floyd ever. I've never <laughs> heard a single thing from Pink Floyd that I have ever liked. But <laughs> but Pink Floyd has been around. 40 50 years mm-hmm. and they have had mega hits they've had they have fans that still care about what they do so i would never say pink floyd isn't any good right because clearly they are because they've been <laughs> right. around a long time nobody's <laughs> right. around for 50 years nobody has the greatest like you know what dark side of the moon like still sells a thousand copies a week or some yeah, crazy it's, thing it's amazing clearly yeah. clearly they're good they just don't resonate with me but that right. doesn't make them not good and so that's right. what bothers me is that People that he can't sing. Well, that's clearly nonsense because there are millions of people that his work is vitally important. So that it's just it's the declarative nature of, of the he can't sing thing that bothers. me. I agree with you 100 yeah. percent on that. Um, we go from that little sweet song and uh, uh, interesting setup that will take us to the last song. But song number nine, Shelter from the Storm. Was in another lifetime, one of toil and blood. When blackness was a virtue, the road was full of mud. I came in from the wilderness, a creature void of form. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. And if I pass this way again, you can rest assured. I'll always do my best for her, on that I give my word. In a world of steel-eyed death and men who are fighting to be warm, come in, she said, I'll give ya shelter from the storm. Not a word was spoke between us, there was little risk involved. Everything up to that point had been left unresolved. Try imagining a place where it's always safe and warm Come in, she said, I'll give you a shelter from the storm 
was burned out from exhaustion, buried in the hail. Poisoned in the bushes and blown out on the trail. Hunted like a crocodile, ravaged in the corn. Come in, she said, I'll give you. This is another song I never get tired of hearing. And yes, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. beautiful. Absolutely beautiful song. Very positive, very uplifting, very, um, you know, uh, well, I'm losing words again because <laughs> I'm not Bob Dylan. But uh, like you said earlier, I could just listen to this song over and over and over again. It's um, come in. He said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. Yeah, I mean, I love the I, lo- I love the inverted imagery in that it's the woman who is outside, yet she's the one providing the shelter, because it's of course it's the metaphorical shelter, and it, again it, it it mixes the sort of very complex with the very simple, because the the, re- the refrain is very simple of of the woman, uh, the man asking the woman to come in, which is a very straightforward, and then he's got the crazy imagery with the one-eyed undertaker <laughs> blowing a funeral horn, and you're like, what the hell is that about? So it's it mixes these these things uh, quite well and i said it's 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 probably the other than you're going to make me lonesome it's probably the kindest song mm-hmm. uh because it's it's now it's one of love and it's you know explaining that this person's going through a very difficult time and the woman is going to provide him with the the comfort and the love that he needs so yeah it's a very sweet right. song it's again it's got a lot of sadness to it but it's it's a sweet you know it's it's a million miles away from Idiot Wind, which, of course, is the same physical space it occupies on a two-sided album, the next-to-last song. Yes. So, so good. You think he's saying one thing until you really listen to it. At the beginning, it does sound like that's all he's saying. It's just, you know, I'll give you shelter. It's raining. It's a storm. Come on in. I'll give you shelter from the storm. And I love the way you put that, that it's, it's she out in the rain is offering him the comfort from the storm who's yeah. inside. It's just beautiful. Just beautiful. You And used very effectively uh, in the movie Jerry Maguire. The, the final scene plays out to Shelter from the Storm. Uh, and I, I, I remember seeing that movie in the theater. I love that movie. And I remember seeing it in the theater not knowing that was coming. And I, I, I know Dylan's song so backwards and forwards that uh, during this shot of, of Tom Cruise and Randy Zellweger, I still you start hearing the jingle, 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 and I was like, <gasps> you know, like oh my god, and it, you know, and it was just such a weird song to hear in a in a major motion picture because to me it's just, it's not one of his hits, it's not certainly a very famous song, but it just I was so like oh my god, and that's it plays over the end credits and it's wonderful, just beautiful, and. Um... Yeah, like I say, I could listen to this, well, song. I could listen to this album, which I have done (laughs) over the last six months, um, many, many times. So, uh, terrific. Which takes us um, all too quickly to the last song on the album. And what a way to end this album. Yes, Buckets of Rain. Buckets of tears Got all them buckets coming out of my ears Buckets of moonbeams in my hand You got all the love, honey, baby, I can stand Buckets of rain 
dragon oak I've seen pretty people disappear like smoke Friends will arrive, friends will disappear If you want me, honey, baby, I'll be here So what do you think he's putting in his bucket? This one, I have to say, I have to admit, lyrically, it, it eludes me a little, but it's more the performance. Uh, it's this, I guess, I mean, you know, he knew he knew that the, the, whatever song he ends the album on, it, that's going to be the end statement. Uh, even if the other songs are, you know, quote unquote better, how you go out is going gonna, is gonna to be the thing that people take away. And it, this one is mournful. And more of a K Sarah Sarah kind of tone of like, well, all right, this didn't work, so be it. And so it, you know, after all the the anguish and the anger and the heartache and all of this and that, this kind of gives the listener a, a bit of a like a way out, mm-hmm. you know, just to kind of like, okay, I'm gonna leave you in a, well, all right, and wistful, and you just go on. And uh, again, it's it's one of the shorter songs today. It's only about three minutes and change. One of the shortest songs in the album, um, so it yeah it just has that kind of okay you know if I it, it's like I've I've said my piece uh, and now we're gonna just move on to something else and you go your way to, to quote another tone so like you go your way and I'll go mine uh, that's kind of has that's that's always how I, I I took fun you know I like the I like the fact that musically. Uh, it's a little more up-tempo again, and he did that yeah. throughout the album where he would do an up-tempo and then take you down a little bit and then bring you back a little bit to another up-tempo and then back to... So he kind of... There's nice little waves of up and down and back and forth in this album, and I think that's a really nice way to end this album um, because it is... it it Listening not to the lyrics totally, but just to the attitude of the sound... It sounds like he's sending you off in a positive way. He's saying, I know I put you through a lot in this album. I know I whispered in your ear about a love song and I yelled at you about this and I cried about that. But now it's time to go on home and, you know, have fun. See ya. See ya. Hope you liked it. You know? Yeah, it's it's a perfect place to leave the to leave the listener because what else are you going to do? You can just stay angry <laughs> yeah. the rest of your life, or you can be a mourn, mournful sob and you know whatever. No, it's more like move on. We're just going to move on, and that's we're going to experience this together. We're going to experience this album together. We're going to take. I'm going to take you through this journey, but now I'm sending you off. Go off, listen to something else. Go, 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 do this. Go, go have a go have dinner. Go, go do something else. It's, it's, it's leaving you. It's, it's, it's it. I do, I'm repeating myself. It's just leaving you in a good space. Well, I repeat myself a lot on this album by saying I love this song. <laughs> it's. Can you listen to it a lot? Tom? Yes, I really can. <laughs> you know, it's just amazing, and uh, uh, I'm sad it's over. We should do it again. We should listen to it. <laughs> Turn it back over. We're flipping. We're doing it on vinyl here today, folks. So yeah, flip it over. Um, and the thing that this and if, I'm sorry, I didn't no, mean to interrupt you, but the thing the thing that that this album really did for him was it it helped him escape the notion that he was a quote unquote '60s artist because now he had had other hits right. in the '70s. He did "Knock It on Heaven's Door" right. and "Forever Young" and uh, the whole album of Planet Waves, I think, is terrific. But this album, clear, you know, you mentioned some critics didn't like it, but it didn't take long for people to go, whoa, yeah. okay, this is, and it, it, it 
permanently burst him out of he's a 60s guy. Yes. He's a guy, you know, he's not Jimmy, no no offense, but Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and Jim Morrison, their careers all stopped the pretty 60, much. Like, right. They didn't the minute grow. 19, right. Yeah, the minute 19, well, I mean, they literally, you know, in some cases, well, all of the cases, all those they three. literally just keel over. Right. But it's they they Dylan escaped the the I'm a 60s act. I am. No, no, no. I'm an ongoing creative artist and I'm chronicling my life in song. And he'll have moments of brilliance and moments of not so much brilliance, right. uh, you know, the mid 80s. Uh, but he'll he'll this is an ongoing journey. This is not his career does not have an, a finished arc. And the only time it will is when he dies. That That's when it'll be over. Uh, but until then, he's going to keep going. He will probably kill over in the studio or, or on, stage. on stage. I get the sense on stages. I would essentially on stage. I said, I feels like that's what his, uh, what he wants. Yeah. I get, I get the sense. I wouldn't doubt that at all. Um, yeah. and the fact that, as we mentioned earlier, he is in the studio or about to be in the studio soon to record a new album. Uh, this is very cool. This is, this is good stuff. That means he's got something to say because he, yeah. he doesn't need the money. Yeah. So he must have something to say. <laughs> Yep. So I can't yep. wait to hear what he's going to say. And uh, uh, well, what about some closing thoughts then on uh, Blood on the Tracks? Uh, like I said, it's still it's my favorite album of all time. It's my favorite of his. Uh, it just I just don't get tired of it. I mean, I, I'm, the thing I think about this album, and I mentioned about, you know, that that he said things that I clearly took to, to mean directly to my life when I knew they I knew they didn't. Mm -hmm. It's 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 funny what your head and your heart can tell you because they can be two different things i mean it kind of reminds me and this is a weird comparison so just i'll i'll be brief but it reminds me a little of the first time i ever saw the texas chainsaw massacre <laughs> because there's a scene in that movie where like i saw them i didn't see that movie until i was in my 20s and then it had you know it had of course been already been very famous by then and I watched that movie, and I knew intellectually this is a movie. This is a fake. Right. This is a camera crew. This is actors. This is fake. Right. But there's a scene in that movie that is so crazy intense and so oddball and horrific that I, for half a second, went, this is fake, right? <laughs> like, I caught myself right. having that thought, and then I immediately went, oh, of, course of course it is. It is. I mean, you know, but, but the fact that the director, Toby Hooper, got me mm -hmm. for even a half second told me that's how effective this movie was. And there were times listening to this album where I had to mentally remind myself, he's not talking to you. <laughs> he, re he, re he recorded this when you were a baby. Right. He's not, this is not real. Right. But it seems so specific to my experience, my, my feelings of how I felt at the time of, of the, the relationships that I've had in my life and, and how I've related and how I've been angry and I've been sad and been more full. It's just so dig so deep into your, into your DNA that it, it never leaves. And um, even though I've been very fortunate that I have not experienced any heartbreak for the last 15 years, this album still resonates with me because it brings me back to those times mm -hmm. it, it, and, and not in a sad way, not in a, you know, depressive way, but just in a, yeah, I've been through mm -hmm. this. I, and, and that's what Bob wants to do. I think he wants to just, he is trying to communicate something to you that hopefully has resonance in your life. And it doesn't matter that it's about his life. And in the end it does not I don't really care whether it's about his wife, whether it's about Sarah or it's about Suze or Ellen Bernstein or whatever. Right. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's about how I take it. And it, it, it again, for an album of, of severe pain, it just doesn't, it, it, it makes me feel better 
because it's the blues. I mean, right. essentially all is the blues. It's singing away your problems yeah. and it, it's not a depressing thing. And it just holds up so well. And uh, it's a, it's a monumental achievement. And and coming on the fact that it, it, it came after a career of Titanic achievements in the 60s is even more impressive. You know, that it's just like, God, this if this man had just recorded this album, he would have been like the Harper Lee of music. You know, all right, he only made one thing, but boy, it's a masterpiece. Well, yeah, but it also comes on the heels of trend of of just huge, huge uh, uh, contributions to the culture, and the fact that he just kept going and and could keep continue on. And I've heard him sing "Tithe Hanging Up in Blue" live. Mm. You know, I've 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 had that mm. chance to hear him sing those words live, and it's just an amazing thing. So uh, yeah, mm. it it just I just this album is just amazing, just simply amazing. Well, I envy you the ability to see him live. I there is still hope. Yep, you're going to have many, many more concerts, many more chances. We're going to have to do this again, Rob. This is just as terrific. Uh, I would not be opposed if you want to pick another Dylan album or another uh, album of yours to come and let's talk about. Uh, I will. I never there. Much like I will not shut up about Aquaman. I will not shut up about Bob Dylan. So any album, virtually any of his, I can talk about. Maybe not Empire Burlesque, but, but all the other ones. I can go on and on about it. And I get, you know, I, 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 this will probably be a good time to mention it. And this is the first time anybody's hearing this Ooh. is I am going to be launching a Bob Dylan podcast. Whoa. Yes. As part of the fire and water podcast network, it's going to be a very intermittent show because I've already got my hands full with a lot of other shows, but I'm bothered by the fact that there is so little Dylan podcasting out there. The Beatles have a great, there's a, a show called alphabetical, which is their song, their entire catalog, one song at a time. Wow. And, a lot of other musicians, but Dylan just for some reason doesn't have a much, doesn't have a lot. And I don't claim to be any sort of expert or just a fan, but I'm going to do it. And the name of the show is going to be pod Dylan. Uh, <laughs> and it's going to be, it's just going to be one song per episode. And I'm just going to jump around the catalog. And at the rate I'm going, I have at least 500 episodes to do. Wow, one so song I am. I got to keep it simple. And I am officially inviting you to come on the show whenever you want and pick whatever Dylan song you want to talk about. And we'll talk. I am there. Thank you. Wow. That is great. We're breaking some news here on long play. That's great. <laughs> I'm not sure when it's going to launch. Cause I'm, I'm just, it's good, but I have a, I I've been setting it up and uh, I'm going to do it eventually. It's just a matter of. That's one of the it. best news I've heard in a long time. Outstanding. Uh, we're all going to look forward to that. That's great. Um, cause I know there's several people when I told, uh, uh, Honeywell and a few other people at two true freaks that you and I were doing blood on the tracks. Um, uh, this long line formed behind <laughs> me to talk to you about Bob Dylan. Oh, that's so, very nice. Uh, Thank I you. think, yeah, so I think that's really great. So you're probably going to get a few messages from, uh, some other people that want to talk Dylan. So outstanding. And you, a new Dylan show. That's, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Well, absolutely terrific. Um, great album. Had fun, Rob. This was terrific. I really do appreciate it. Uh, if you had to pick a song off the top of your head, not on this album, just another Dylan song to kind of end with, uh, kind of an after credits or over the credits. Pick oh, one. Boy. oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> boy. Okay. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to, this will be, this is, this is hard to, because it's like picking your favorite child. But my all-time yep. favorite Dylan song, I have to say, is from it's an it's from the Bootleg series. It's an outtake from Oh Mercy, and it's called Series of Dreams. And it's a it's I you know I don't want to say what it's about because Lord knows what it's about. But it's it's 
it's very uh, abstract and impressionistic. And it's it feels like it pops in and out of the time stream. And I think that's what this album does. And so even though auto, orally it sounds nothing like anything you'd hear on Blood on the Tracks, it, it the, to me, the two are linked up because it has that feeling of someone standing outside of the time stream and watching events happen almost simultaneously. And, and it is for reasons that remain only to myself. It is it is my all time favorite Bob Dylan song. Bob, where can they find you? The Fire and Water Podcast Network, which is uh, firewaterpodcast.com. That's all our shows, and I have other things that I do. But the real the real main thing is the Fire and Water uh, Podcast, firewaterpodcast.com. And I guess my other thing that I do, which I enjoy, is I am the film critic for 13thdimension.com, where I write a column called Real Retro Cinema, where I talk about old movies and sometimes new ones. Uh, that is a lot of fun, and uh, I hope uh, everybody maybe goes over and checks those out, because uh, I... I love talking movies and Dylan are like, that's my thing, uh, even more than comics in a lot of ways. And so I get a chance to talk about uh, movies and I get the chance to talk about comics. And thanks to you, I get to talk about Dylan here and I'm going to get to talk about Dylan a lot more. Outstanding. Thank you, Rob, for coming by. This was just, you know, a thrill. I absolutely love talking Dylan. Just terrific. Thank you so much for suggesting it. My name is Bob Fisher. You can find me over at the Superman Forever podcast at supermanforever.com and an upcoming long play. So thanks, people. We'll see you next time. Bye. You can't see with your eyes. it any great connection? Was for any intricate schemes Nothing That would pass inspection As you sneak in Of a series of dreams Green world The umbrella is holding And into if you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. 
Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. And this is your Uncle Don saying good night. Good night, little kids. Good night. We're off? Good. Well, that ought to hold the little bastards.